saving money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. My Savage Chakras, episode 254. Whatever the mind creates, it can recreate. The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My 7 Chakras, the show where we provide you the knowledge and action steps that will help you transform your life. So if you're new to the show, then I want to give you a warm, warm welcome. As a listener, you will receive a lot of information and wisdom to change your life. But if you are an action taker, then I'm pretty sure then that you're not just looking for information, right? Because if it's only information you seek, then you can find it on a search engine like Google. In order to make a change in your life and sustain it, you need a community that will hold space for you, allow you to express your voice, share, collaborate and grow and really step into your new life. That's why our Facebook community, Action Tribe, is just what you need. Our group will hold you accountable, provide you feedback and cheer you till the finish line. And we also have a special chakra challenge for every day so that you can take small steps each day that will make a big change in your life. So if you want to join the thousands of other members in our group, just go to my7chakras.com forward slash tribe. That's my7chakras.com forward slash T-R-I-B-E. Once again, my7chakras.com forward slash tribe. And with that being said, it is now time to welcome our special guest for today. In fact, repeat guest, uh, David James. So David, are you ready to inspire our audience? I am. That's what I do for a living. So this is a perfect connection between you, me, and your listeners. Wonderful. So Dr. David James is a transformational hypnotherapist, a former police detective and Episcopal priest. He's the author of three books on the inner journey. He has a PhD in clinical psychology and has graduate degrees in spirituality and human development. As an expert in the mind-body relationship, David works personally with clients and offers compelling presentations across the US and Canada. He has recently released his new book, Discovering Your Magnificent Mind, Finding Freedom, Prosperity and Health. And that's exactly what we are going to speak about today. Now, this is not his first appearance on our show. His first appearance was way back when we were just getting started, episode 32. And today we're on episode 254. And that wow. is a long time in the podcasting world. So if you want to catch up on that episode, then go to my7chakras.com forward slash 32. That's my7chakras.com forward slash 32. But if you have already listened to that episode, if you are an action taker, then let's proceed. So David, first of all, thank you so much for joining me today. You are so welcome. I'm glad to be here again. 
Great. So this is really exciting. Really excited to learn more about your book. But before that, uh, my question to you is, what is your favorite inspirational quote these days and how do you apply it in your day-to-day life and work? Well, as a hypnotherapist, I'm about helping people make positive and lasting change in their life. And so I, it, it occurred to me a while back uh, a quote that came to me in my own self-hypnosis that I am putting on to my business cards and into my media. And, and the quote is this, whatever the mind creates, it can recreate. You know, we're not victims of determinism. You know, if our mind creates something, and we can talk about how that happens and what mm-hmm. we do, then it has the capacity to recreate. And that's my job is to help uh, your listeners and my clients recreate their mind processes, their patterns, their downloads, so that they can live a prosperous, abundant, and happy life. Wow, that's an amazing quote. And, you know, I've got another perspective on this, uh, and which will really build on this as well. Uh, and what came to my mind was what the mind creates in the mind it can recreate in real life. In other words, uh, the mind does not know the difference between what is uh, happening in your mind and what is happening in reality. So if you're able to create that future version of yourself within you, then you can recreate it in real life. (laughs) Well, that's true. And also in the body, and I'm sure we'll talk about this too, because, you know, when mind states change, then brainwaves change and all kinds of things change. So yes. Got it. So states, brainwaves, consciousness and much more on today's episode so let's begin uh, uh, today's episode david i think we could start here what exactly is the mind really because there are so many different definitions of what the mind is but i want to know what your thoughts are on this um i i've come to believe that the mind is well, let me back up they used to think mm-hmm. that the mind was only the brain at work. If, if you're a materialist and a physicalist, you know, the only thing that the mind can be would be the epiphenomena of the brain at work. But we know now that um, the mind can connect to other minds uh, across the world through ESP and uh, um, distance viewing and uh, can connect with other dimensions and can uh, infuse chakras. So the mind really is, in my opinion, our portal to an energetic world both within us and without us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the mind is like a portal because that was exactly my next question uh, because like you rightly pointed out, some people believe that the mind is limited to the confines of the brain and some people say including like Deepak Chopra, like like you write in your book, the the mind is more expansive than what we might think it is. Uh, And so sometimes, you know, that comes to your mind is where does the mind start and where does it end really, right? Because you spoke about telepathy and ESP and all these things. Uh, But the mind is, would you say that the mind is ever expansive? Yes. And matter of fact, I had a tussle with my publisher on the book because okay. the, the cover that went out basically shows the outline of a man with a very luminous brain. Yes. And I said, you know, that gives a, a misinterpretation of what the mind is. The mind is not the brain. The mind is wherever, in the, for example, in the body, wherever there are nerve endings is where the mind is. So that's why uh, mm. hypnosis, hypnosis is so powerful in pain reduction because we can actually go into the nerve endings in the little toe or in the appendix or wherever. So um, at that level, it's certainly that. But then when you get beyond 
the physical body into the various layers of the emotional and mental bodies and um, all of the things that we're discovering about placebo effects. Right. And, um, and all of this, we know that the mind is far more than just the proof that the brain is working. Awesome. And also, you know, there was this quote I heard recently about the mind, which says that if you're trying to look for the mind inside the confines of the head or the brain, it's like looking for the symphony inside of the piano. Exactly. <laughs> got it. Got it. Now, before we move on, uh, David, how did you get into the field of hypnotherapy? As a child, did you always want to be doing what you're doing right now? <laughs> no. As a kid, I wanted to be a police officer. Right. Um, uh, and, and, but I got my um, PhD, in, in, as I said, in clinical psychology. Um, and I did that for a lot of years. I did a lot of work with people in recovery from drug and alcohol addictions. I did a lot of family work. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> the thing that I discovered that every honest therapist, and I'm not suggesting that there are dishonest therapists, but the thing that I learned very early on was that we each have um, a process within us that in technical language we call homeostasis, which is returning to the one, if you want to kind of break that word down. But I call it a default defense mechanism to prohibit change. Sure. And um, I would see this most aptly when I was a police officer and I'd be called in the middle of the night to a domestic dispute and a man may have just beaten a woman severely. Not not always. I mean, some, we know that domestic violence cuts both ways, but that a man um, uh, would beat a woman and we would be getting ready to put the handcuffs in and take him out and then she would jump on us mm. as we were rescuing her because – uh, although she suffered greatly at the hands of this guy, what she knew was his paycheck. What she knew was what, you know, it's the old saying, better the devil you know than the devil you don't. Sure. Um, but this was such a deeply embedded process in her subconscious mind that um, she did anything she could to keep us from removing him from the home when removing him from the home would save us, would save her life. Yeah. Well, not quite so dramatic, but we all have that. We all have this line within our within our mind that says, yes, I want to change. But then when the change seems too great, that we pull up this wall of resistance. Mm-hmm. I, have a, I have another quote that I use on my Instagram page every once in a while, and it says, you know, the new life you want is going to cost you the old life that you have. Sure. The new life you want is going to cost you the old life you have. And so we have this homeostatic uh, effect going on. You know, uh, when we have a fever, um, the body continues to let the fever work so it can uh, attack the infection. But ultimately it breaks, our fever breaks, and we return back to normal. That's the homeostasis principle of returning us back to normal, 98.6. Well, we have this in psychology in counseling in spirituality and mental work you know we may want to quit smoking for example or we may want to release 30 40 50 pounds mm-hmm. for example or we may want to manifest abundance but if um to do those things 
um, there needs to be, you know, very often significant changes taking place in our what we call the 3D world in our outer life. And and when when we when we get to that point, then this homeostasis, this resistance, this default mechanism kicks in, and we take the the smoke on our cigarette, and I say, ah. Oh, I'll start tomorrow, you know, or, mm. or whatever it is. Um, well, that's like I said, that's just a self-protective mechanism. Traditional therapy, talk therapy, um, the principle of it is that we talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, and eventually one of the bricks of the wall of resistance comes out, and you see a little bit of daylight between them. Mm-hmm. And then you talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, and then another brick. And eventually enough of the bricks come out that the wall crumbles. Well, I found it to be a very frustrating way to go about things. So when I studied hypnosis more in depth, I realized that I could actually hop over that wall, metaphorically speaking, of course, hop over the wall of resistance and go right to the symptom and change the symptoms that were creating the walls of resistance to make the powerful change. So I'm able to do in six sessions what could have taken a year or two in my traditional therapy practice. Mm -hmm. So it seems like, and that's what you've uh, mentioned as well in your book, is that there's some sort of a code in the mind that is creating this homeostasis and the fact that we need to override it with a new code, correct? Correct, yeah. Thank thank goodness for, you know, our computer age. Because when we <laughs> talk about, you know, software running, you know, uh, people understand that, you know. Before, oh, yeah. when you used to, before computers, you know, I guess they used to talk about, you know, how these influences of spirits and all these other things were going. But we now have this kind of technical language that, you know, we talk about how some programs... Some, some software programs are really good for us, and some are malware, but they're all operating under the level of consciousness, which is why we call them subconscious. And the subconscious mind is the most powerful part of our mind. It's our 90% of our power. So that's mm-hmm. why it's good to understand that. Right. Now, in your book, uh, which is titled Discover Your Magnificent Mind, you speak about the magnificent mind, of course, but why is it so magnificent? Could you talk to us a bit about what you've discovered? The magnificent mind can heal our bodies without medicine. Our magnificent mind can allow us to manifest abundance and prosperity in our lives. Our magnificent mind can bring our soulmate and relationship to us that we've yearned for. Mm -hmm. Our magnificent mind can allow us to communicate with other people without the use of iPhones, telephones, computers, Uh, Our magnificent mind can allow us to connect with the spirit world, if that's part of our belief system. It can allow us to connect with the divine. Our magnificent mind can help rewrite um, our our very essence. And so that's why I'm calling it the magnificent mind. Got it. So it seems like we are on the brink of discovering some human abilities that we never felt was human before, right? Right. Exactly. I, I say in the in the introduction to one of the chapters that we're living in an axial age, A-X-I-A, an axial age. We're in the shift of something. You know, there was one of the, one of the axial ages was when electricity was discovered, and all sure. of a sudden, you know, or another axial age was when, uh, you know, we started to understand how to do rocket propulsion because then the satellite world took off. And so we're in the middle of an axial age where things are changing. And, and so the things that you and I are in awe of, 
when it comes to the mind, yeah. our grandchildren will take for granted. Ah. You know, you know, instead of um, you know saying, "Oh, I need money. I've got to go to the ATM," they will sit in their chair and do law of attraction kinds of work and manifest money coming to them. You know, if our grandchildren are ill, instead of running to the doctor for a shot, the first thing they'll do is go into deep relaxation and focused attention, mm-hmm. and they'll visualize the red blood cells and white blood cells uh, becoming more harmoniously aligned, and they'll be healing themselves. So for us, you know, we think, you know, this is all, you know, fresh off the press kind of stuff. But right. I mean, because remember, once upon a time, people used to look up at the stars and think, that they were spirits looking down at them. Now we know that they are their own independent suns with their own galaxies, and nobody, other than very few people, but nobody questions that anymore. So that's the kind of transformation that I think is going to take place in regards to the mind and the potential of the mind-body connection and the further dimensions that the mind has the capacity to reach. Got it. Now, we've spoken about the mind, we've spoken about the body, but what I want to speak about now is the field, because you write about the field, uh, you've written about the subconscious mind, and then the field. So what is this field that you refer to in your book? Uh, the field is the collective mind. Mm-hmm. Um, the field, you know, it, it, there are some traditions that posit that we have what's called a peri-spirit, P-E-R-I spirit, that is an energetic body that extends beyond our physical body six feet in each direction. And so that that's why when somebody's approaching you and their energy's not good, you can sense it before they actually get into that. So the field is that place where our energy expands beyond the body, beyond the brain, and connects with the creative intelligence of the entire cosmos. And it's in the and that's why it is through connecting with the field that I could connect with you, you know, without, mm. you know, phones. Right. Uh, it is because of the field that uh, Deepak Chopra, Chopra talks about this, that um, distance healing works. Carolyn Miss, another medical intuitive, you know, would sit in her, home in upstate New York and around the world, doctors would send uh, cases and she would heal them from a distance because she was able to enter into the field of Mm -hmm. energy and make the changes by traveling through the field and make the changes in the field. So the field is this collective energy that is not limited to space and time. Awesome. So thanks a lot for sharing that because what I have found as well is that if you're able to tap into the field, you're able to communicate, you're able to heal over distance, and also you're able to learn. Have you heard about the Akashic record? So you have yes. field uh-huh. and you have you know, unlimited knowledge that is uh, potentially able to be acquired. So so this is really exciting. Now, my question to you is, you know, you've worked with so many people over the years and you've embarked on uh, numerous quests of knowledge acquisition. Uh, what is the most surprising observation that you've seen so far about the magnificent magnificence of the mind? You know, something that still makes you, you know, wonder maybe? Um, I think that because we live in such a material based universe yes that um the things that still astound me are when people are healed from diseases that they were told by the doctor they were going to die of you know there is the um survivors 
uh, I'm blanking on the name of the network, Survivors Research Network. And, and it is 35,000 cases of people. The doctor said, you know, you have months, weeks, days, hours to live, um, to go home and make your peace. And, sure. and they just decided they weren't going to, and they are alive and well today. Um, I had one particular client who had ALS, Lou, Park, Lou Gehrig's disease. Yep. It's, it's where the, the nerves stop working because the myelination of the nerves stop working. And she came to me in a wheelchair because she wanted to work with depression. And hypnosis is really powerful when it comes to depression and anxiety work. And I said that's why in my work I do a lot of work in a medical clinic with addicts who are coming off of drugs and I help them uh, dial down their anxiety levels so they don't need the, the drugs. But um, so she came to me for depression and I said, absolutely, it would be my privilege to work with you to increase your levels of non-depression, to bring back some joy into your life. I said, but would you like to play with me a little bit? And play with your symptoms? And she yeah. said, what? And so I explained to her about hypnosis and the mind-body connection. And I shared with her a very uh, couple of compelling stories from the literature. And so she agreed. So we started working. Like I said, she came to me in a wheelchair. And within five and a half months, she came to me in a walker. And our next goal was to get her into a cane, to just use a cane for balance. So what was happening was... She was reversing through the power of her mind. She was reversing the symptoms of ALS. And I'm guessing that she's much better now. Um, and she is, yeah. You know, and I mean, not perfect, but sure. um, yeah, much better. To know that she had come in a wheelchair and now she's maybe on a cane is yeah, a cane, significant yeah. progress. So, so it's just fascinating to note that uh, there's a lot of power uh, in the mind. And the other thing that you that you that you write about is so so these days you know everyone gets worried right if they hear that everything is taped, everything is recorded. You know whether it's phone conversations or your email. But what I read and what you've written is that the subconscious mind is always on duty and it records. Everything. So could you explain this a bit more? <laughs> yes. It's, um, it's uh, and the reason that we know this is because when we put somebody into trance, which is okay. kind of the technical name for the hypnotic state, um, we may be working on stopping smoking or we may be working on releasing weight or we may be working on bringing love into their lives or we may be working on... Um, losing the fear of speaking in public. And all of a sudden, they bring up a memory mm. of uh, being beaten as a baby that they never knew existed. Um, and that that was the root of all their fears. Um, you know, or and, and, uh, in other instances, um, uh, when we go put people into trance state, they can remember really good things that happened to them in very, very early childhood. So what the studies have been done by Stanford Research Institute and Harvard Medical School when it comes to hypnosis is that they realize that the mind captures everything. But because, you know, for us to function on any given day, you know, we would be overwhelmed if we were having constant memories of everything that happened to us all of our life. Right. That the mind has the ability to store a catalog and, 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 um, uh, 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 
sustain us in our day-to-day, but that when we need it, we can recall it through the proper use of the mind. Got it. So we've got unlimited memories. We've got a lot of memory in our mind, but not all of it is readily available uh, at our access because if if it would be, then day-to-day life would be really hard, right? Managing all these different memories and trying to operate. Well, yeah, we'd be overstimulated on the one hand because, um, and, and, you know, for people who have, for example, PTSD. Okay. Um, what's happening is that they are in a feedback, a continually ongoing feedback loop of the trauma that yes. occurred to them. Um, so imagine somebody dealing with this continually occurring feedback loop of trauma and then all the other stimulus of their life at the same time. It would be overwhelming. So like mm. I said, the body has all the, the mind has all these rather, the mind has all these uh, mechanisms to store and sort and um, and numb out. Now sometimes, you know, uh, our clients are not able to recall the very real memories that would help them heal, for example, you know, memories sure. of abuse. And so then we access the mind we go into that subconscious place and we release that memory and they have a cathartic moment or they have a very painful moment uh, and they're able to release it. So like I said, it, the mind is, I mean, we don't understand. I would bet a, a quarter of the mind again, you know, a hundred years from now, you know, we'll, we'll be considered, you know, ancients in, in, in how we looked at the mind. But I mean, the fact that the mind can take all of the data of our lives, all of the data, all of our experiences, all of our ups, all of our downs, our first kisses, our last defeats, and, and we're not constantly facing them all the time, shows its power to sort and to allow us to move forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really, really interesting. Now, you know, you, you spoke about the mind sort of as a as a hard drive, so to speak, an ever expansive hard drive. But of course, we would need to communicate with this hard drive, uh, correct? So, you've mentioned that the language of the mind, particularly the subconscious mind, is symbolic. So, could you could you explain or touch upon that a bit? Yes. Um, again, we, we're we're so grateful to um, all the scientists who have done work because, you know, in the um, mid 1800s when uh, Anton Mesmer, you know, um, was doing his work with uh, what was called at the time invoking animal magnetism because he believed that we all had this fluid flowing through our body. And because we're animals, in his opinion, the human being is part of the animal species, that it was that we had this magnet, animal magnetism. Now, it means something different for us today. But back then, um, and, and so he would put magnets on different parts of the body. And what he discovered was is that healing would happen even when he didn't use the magnets. So he came to understand it was the power of suggestion in the mind. Well, so um, what we know now, though, is scientifically, there are so many proofs that hypnosis works, that um, we're able to respond um, in in ways that are um, uh, really factual, and and that helps people who are somewhat skeptical. So if you could rephrase the question uh, in in that light, uh, maybe I can give a clearer answer. Yes. Uh, so, so, so maybe I could dive a bit deeper. Like uh, you suggested that uh, there's a lot of symbolism involved uh, with the subconscious mind, right? So, for example, my th- my uh, question was maybe 
if we look at dreams, I've heard that when we're dreaming, uh, there's a lot of communication happening uh, between our conscious mind and the subconscious mind. Uh, so, and also some sometimes people talk about the symbolism involved in dreams, right? So, could you elaborate on that a bit? Yes, when when I work with clients in hypnosis, whether in my office or around the world on Skype, I, I tell them as we're starting to help them ease into the state of focused attention and deep relaxation that allows the subconscious mind to open to us. Mm-hmm. That when we're speaking. You know, you might be speaking English or German or Farsi or Hindi or whatever, but that's the 10%, the conscious mind that allows us this discursive, analytical, mm-hmm. back and forth conversation. The subconscious mind, though, speaks in the language of symbols. Hence, the dreams about flying poodles or pizzas with green, mm-hmm. daisy, green daisies sticking out of them or you know, men or women with four heads. I mean, Carl Jung wrote a book on memories, dreams, and reflections that deals with this in particular, how the subconscious mind speaks symbolically. So um, what we do in hypnosis is I tell my clients, I said, so we're going to learn to speak back to the subconscious mind, the language that it understands. And that is, in some part, we have to use our verbal language because that's what we have. But largely, we're going to develop the faculty of our imagination because the imagination then creates an image. And that image is communicated to the subconscious mind. And if that image is strong enough and consistent enough, the subconscious mind gets it, so to speak. And... Um, we are able to, to do that. Now, that's why kids are great for hypnosis. Because, you you know, you just say to a, an eight or a nine-year-old, okay, I want you to pretend that, and we're on our way. You know, whatever the that is, that white blood right. cells are being defeated by red blood cells if they have cancers, or, you know, that your uh, ankle is straightening up and for the first time, and you can see that the stormtroopers from Star Wars are pulling on it real hard, you know. So kids are easy. You know, adults, we make it so difficult because we're so analytical and discursive. But the more that we use symbolic imagery to communicate mm. with the deepest parts of ourselves, of course, that's why poetry, good poetry, comes from the subconscious mind. Beautiful art comes from the subconscious mind. You know, life-changing music comes from the subconscious mind because it's using symbol yes. to connect with us. And so mm-hmm. what our job is is to learn how to use symbol to engage in relationship with the subconscious mind. Wonderful, wonderful. And what what comes to my mind is when you mentioned uh, symbols is the fact that, uh, you know, the ancients in different civilizations around the world, when they wrote their texts or hymns, even in India, uh, when they were writing the Vedas, most of it was symbolic language, right? Most of it was in terms of metaphors uh, as they wrote hymns uh, that represent and stand for something. Uh, but it seems like some of the historians have interpreted them literally and trying to put them in words, but instead they were images and they were symbols and they were metaphors. Well, and that's true. And that's why, again, we owe Carl Jung a great uh, debt of thanks in, in the West uh, because he helped us understand the power of archetypes, the power mm. of collective 
uh, structures of imagination and energy within each person. You know, the man has an aspect of the king and the warrior and the magician and the lover, and the woman has the queen and the Amazon, which would be the feminine warrior, and, right. and the crone, which is the wisdom place, and then the lover. And that when we un- when we really understand what the power of metaphor is, you remember metaphor mm. in the Greek, meta, going beyond, for means that the purpose of the metaphor is to is to communicate something to our depth that right. our that our conscious mind can't grasp. So, uh, you know, like you said, the stories in the Vedas, or yeah. uh, you know, some of the Greek mythology, um, or even you know, I don't want to tread on 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 too sensitive ground here, but you know, issue, images of Jesus being raised from the dead, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, these uh, metaphor called Richard Rohr, who's a renowned author, said that all religion is metaphor. Yeah. In other words, it's trying to use the the depths that comes from the subconscious, from the symbolic world, yeah. and give us a vehicle so that we can understand it transrationally. Wonderful, wonderful. And also, uh, you know, Joseph Campbell is one of my favorite, favorite authors. And I think he was also inspired by or friends with Carl Jung. And he said something along the lines of myth, which is metaphor in a way. So he said myth is the, uh, is the thin veil that separates the known world, the reality that we see, in, see around us uh, from the hidden world, so to speak. Which I'm yes. guessing is the subconscious mind. <laughs> it is, you know. And again, and Richard Rohr again would once say that um, everything in the Bible is true, even the things that seem to us to be illogically untrue. That everything in the Bible is true, right? And some of it actually happened. So, in other words, the point is of scriptures across the the world, the, the enlightened view of scriptures across the traditions, whether it's right, you know, Hindu scriptures, Jewish scriptures, Christian scriptures. Uh, Islamic scriptures is that they all are metaphor that point us to a transcendent other that we connect through the field, through the subconscious mind. Since we're getting us back on track here. <laughs> got it, got it, got it. So, I mean, uh, James, you, you, you shared with us, uh, you spoke about, uh, about the concept of homeostasis a while back. We spoke about the idea that the body always wants to be back in equilibrium, right? So you've written about the two functions within our nervous system that helps us maintain this equilibrium. Uh, could you give us an overview of uh, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system, uh, please, and how they keep us safe and alive and how they work together? Well, and sometimes they don't work quite so well together, and so it's really important to understand. Um, yeah. Uh, very often when I do radio or television, um, people, hosts, will ask me, do you have a closing suggestion? Mm. And and my uh, my answer often is, yes, please relax. Mm. And and they, and they kind of look at me, and, and unless we've talked about it ahead of time in the pre-interview, it takes them a little bit by mistake or by, right. by <laughs> unawares. But here's the thing. Among the many functions of our central nervous system, we have the sympathetic nervous system. And the sympathetic nervous system, one of its roles is to protect us in the case of danger. And we have nicknamed that function of the sympathetic nervous system the fight-or-flight syndrome. So if we turn the corner and we're faced with a saber-toothed tiger, or gang members with machine guns, or the loss of our income, whatever it is, automatically our mind goes into the defensive mode. Blood, 
flows to our extremities, our pupils pinpoint, our breathing gets more rapid and shallow and focused because we're either going to fight that tiger or we're going to run like crazy from that tiger. Um, and so this is the fight or flight mode. And what this does, what, what this is activated by in the, in the sympathetic nervous system is releasing adrenaline throughout the whole body, cortisol throughout the whole body. And, and I'm sure we've all had moments when we were really scared. You know, somebody slammed yeah. on the brakes in front of us, you know, unexpectedly, and we narrowly missed a collision or something. And afterwards, we're trembling, and we're not sure whether we're trembling with rage or anger or fear, but what yes. happened is that our, 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 our sympathetic nervous system had released a boost of um, cortisol and adrenaline to protect us and to have us working. Now, by nature's design, uh, when the saber-toothed tiger is gone or the gang members turned out to be a prop uh, uh set for a movie or it turns out that oh no it was john smith that's losing his job not me or um you know whatever other misunderstandings that after a while we're supposed to go back to a relaxed state kind of the normal sure. state so in other words the the sympathetic nervous system is supposed to have an on and an off switch but john bradshaw who was a therapist in the 80s made the wonderful observation that instead of it being on or off in this day and age, this fast-paced day and age, where there are so many demands upon us, that instead of it being on or off, that it kind of functions more like a pilot light in a hot water heater. It's always just going. And so as a result, there's always kind of a low-grade anxiety. There's always just a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of adrenaline, a little bit of cortisol always going through, which is why then when we get stressed out, uh, our stress seems to exacerbate so quickly. Uh, and that's why, you know, we develop ulcers and all kinds of psychogenic illnesses because we have these very powerful chemicals constantly coursing mm -hmm. through our body. Not at the, the level of, you know, the immediate threat, but it, like I said, like at a pilot light on a, on a gas heater, it's constantly going. Well, the other function, an other function of the central nervous system is what we call this parasympathetic nervous system. Okay. So if you had the sympathetic nervous system, which is, for our conversation today, fight or flight, adrenaline, cortisol, stress, worry, anxiety, you know, force con 10 kind of stuff. The parasympathetic nervous system um, has, has been, when it's activated, has been called the feed or breed syndrome. So compare the fight or flight to the feed or breed. In other words, in the wild... When a deer feels threatened, it's going to fight or flight from whatever the predator is. Mm -hmm. When the deer finally feels safe, it will stop and it will eat, it will rest, it will procreate. And it's the same thing with us as humans. When we go from fight or flight to this feeder breed, when we go from the sympathetic to the parasympathetic nervous system, then oxytocin and a whole different range of endorphins flood our body. Our heartbeat returns to normal. Uh, our creativity increases. Our ability to appreciate the people that we love uh, increases. And so very often 
my work in the beginning stages of hypnosis is to teach people how to move from this anxious, worried, sympathetic nervous system into the relaxed parasympathetic system because that's when the subconscious mind opens to us. Wonderful. I love that explanation and I'm sure that many of our listeners listening to this uh, episode right now are able to understand this so much better because it can get confusing uh, with the with the with, with the large words and terms it can get way difficult to understand but thanks a lot for clarifying that for us and now what you know what comes to my mind is that when we are in that state of you know ease or bliss or relaxation where we also it is easy for us to achieve that state of flow right we've all experienced this state when we are able to create something without being distracted without being disturbed without being worried whether it's writing or painting or planning whatever it might be and after that session no matter how long it takes we get this feeling of accomplishing a lot right of doing a lot and we want to have more of the state so what's that relationship between being in the state of flow and maybe the workings of the mind if you can clarify that a bit well what we commonly refer to as the flow is a moment, a series of moments, minutes, few minutes, where the body-mind, and that's the language we use nowadays, not the body or the mind, because there's no distinction, sure. where the body-mind is absolutely aligned with itself. So that um, when I'm painting, my subconscious mind is flowing through my right hand or left hand, depending on which hand. Or, you know, when I'm running, if you're an, an athlete, you know, they talk about the zone, the athletes being in the zone, that even though they're exerting great effort to win the race or to just run for exercise mm-hmm. sake, that there's an alignment connecting the mind-body to itself and we go into flow. Uh, very often when I work with hypnosis clients, uh, we use, remember we talk about um, imagination as the way to talk yeah. to the subconscious mind. You know, I use the image that, that hypnosis is not so much, hypnotherapy at least, is not so much about creating uh, and building as it is releasing and allowing. So we use the image of the, of the melting candle that drips down the side or the hot sidewalk that has an ice cube placed on it, how it immediately begins to melt the ice cube or how the sun melts away the fog in the morning at the beach, you know, that, that it really is much more about allowing. And that's when we're in the flow is when we're allowing the, the alignment between our body, mind, our intention and our heart to be one. Mm-hmm. So, 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 if you had to give some advice to our listeners, what should we be doing more of or less of to get into the state of flow more often? Well, I guess I have to say we'd have to relax more. I mean, <laughs> that, that, you know, I mean, there are certain ways to, to, to relax. You know, I mean, certainly after one exercises vigorously, um, right. you know, the advantage would then be to not take a shower and get out the door and get to work. But instead, to allow all the fruits of that exercise for 10 or 15 minutes, you know, to just flow through the body mm-hmm. and then take a shower and then go to work. And I understand that everybody has different work schedules and demands, but um, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, some, learning some form of meditation, transcendental meditation or Vipassana or mindfulness meditations are all good 
that that allow us to relax because again when we relax we shift because again we are so anxious as a society i mean our political uh situation in the united states is a collective expression of the fear and anxiety of the individual members of our culture mm-hmm. and so as we learn to relax and i don't mean just turn on the tv and drink a couple beers i mean Really learning to relax your body progressively, for example, starting with your feet and then up to your shins and your knees. I mean, there's ways to do this, and there's plenty of references and referrals for that. But really, it is about learning how to relax and then starting to pay attention to the symbols that are coming to us. Because like I said, our dreams do give us symbols that seem crazy sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so by learning to do dream work and interpreting the symbols of the mind that's trying to communicate to us, then we can start a dialogue with that, you know, or, or maybe if we're an artist, we um, begin to paint what has been coming out of us, or if we're a poet, we write that which has been dying to be revealed in us. So, um, yeah, that would be really, it's, it's a matter of, of focus and attention and relaxation will make all the difference in everything we want to do in this world. So thanks a lot, Action Tribe. I hope you are taking notes or making note internally, mentally, of what is being said here. Maybe after your workout, when you've spent the time to work out and really invigorate your, your body, you need to spend time to enjoy the fruits of your labor as well, which is all those feel-good hormones that are gushing through your body. So take some time to really be in the moment and really relax and really, uh, you know, uh, Feel your body, so to speak, uh, because uh, David, in, in yoga, there is uh, there's a, there's this phase when when you finish your postures and when you finish your yoga session, you normally spend about five to six minutes or maybe ten minutes in the pose of shavasana, yes, which is all about relaxation and being mindful, right, of the experience that you had, and so I think that's a good ex- uh, thing to translate uh, that into your workout as well if you've been working out. Uh, whether it's in the morning or evening, to just spend some time in mindfulness and to enjoy the fruits of your labor. So thanks a lot for sharing that, David. Action Tribe, to read the entire show notes for today's episode, including the inspirational quote, the book recommendation, and certain nuggets of wisdom that you may not have been able to capture right away, visit my7chakras.com forward slash 254 because that's the episode number, my7chakras.com forward slash 254. Action Tribe, I hope you had a great time today as we explored the inner workings of the mind. We have so much more to learn about the connection between our mind and manifestation, telepathy, healing, decision making and and, and more things. But thanks to folks like David James, we are able to get there soon. We're going to get there. Three things are certain though. We need to use more of our imagination in order to create the reality that we'd like to see. Imagination is like the clay of life using which we can manifest our desires. We need to meditate. Meditation is the key to relaxing the mind and experiencing ease, calm and bliss. Meditation and visualization can also take us to higher states of consciousness which open the gates to more possibility. We also need to use our intuition more. The the way many workplaces are designed, it seems like people are valuing logic and rationality a lot which isn't a bad thing but when intuition and gut feeling are ignored and ridiculed that's when things go wrong that's when wrong decisions are taken in relationships in business in investment 
and in education. So sometimes Action Tribe, we need to learn from the ancient elders as we are learning today who paid a lot of respect to the intuitive mind which in my opinion is far more intelligent and powerful than just the logical mind. Because as someone rightly once said, the intuitive mind is a sacred gift and the rational mind is a faithful servant. We have created a society that honors the servant and has forgotten the gift. So David, as on today, what is your life purpose? My life purpose is to help people discover the multidimensionalness of their lives so that they can be happy, peaceful, and free. Wonderful. That's that's a, is, is a grand vision, uh, and I hope you achieve that sometime soon. And now we have come to the last round, the wisdom round. And David, you might recall that we did this last time as well. But since it's been a while, uh, I would love to do the session once again, which is basically four questions so that our listeners can take some notes and take action right away. So what is the best advice that someone has given you? The best advice that somebody has given me is to um, really be authentic. Uh, you know, because like many of us, I grew up with parental and family and religious and tribal and political and school expectations. And um, I was in conflict most of my life. I was kind of a weird kid. And, and so when somebody said, just be you, when I had the courage to just be me, then my life started opening up. So being authentic was probably one of the best advices I ever got. Got it. Name one personal habit that keeps you going, that keeps you strong. My daily meditations. I meditate twice a day, in the morning and in the evening. Um, by And I do different types of meditations at different times. I teach meditation classes. But for me, it really has been learning how to connect with the multidimensionality of myself and then also with others through meditation. Got it. So do you have a morning routine, something or some things that you do uh, in the morning that help you get started? Um, my morning routine is um, very undramatic. <laughs> it is. I get up and I do some very light stretching because my yoga class is in the late afternoon. So I just get up and do some light stretching, have some coffee, um, take a quick um, opportunity before the coffee to do my, my meditation while the coffee's percolating. Uh, and then I'll have my coffee. Then I get in the shower and I have a shower meditation where not only am I cleaning my body, but I'm cleaning my spirit, my emotional body, my spiritual body, which would be a topic of another conversation. And then I, I dress and go to work. Wonderful. So name one book that you'd like to recommend for our listeners today. Beyond Mind. <laughs> Beyond my book. Um, it would be... Uh, Mind Power in the 21st Century, and the author is John Kehoe, K-E-H-O-E. And then a, a second one, okay, would be, you know, The Four Agreements by uh, Don Carlos Ortiz, or Juan Ortiz, um, I don't get his name right, but The Four Agreements, that series, anything by Paula Coelho, uh, which are fiction, but uh, transmit great wisdom, so yeah. Got it. So thanks a lot for sharing these books with us. So by the way, is your book on Audible as well? Uh, I don't think so. I think it is available as an ebook. I think it's a hardcover and a soft cover. I don't think they've made the transition to the uh, Audible book yet. 
got it the reason why i'm saying this is because our community our listeners uh, have an opportunity to get one free audible book download uh because we've uh, teamed up with audible.com and if they uh you know take up on that offer then they get a 30 day trial as well so that they can check out this service now action tribe in case you don't know audible has over 180000 titles to choose from for your various devices including best sellers like the chakra system by anandaya judith autobiography of a yogi by paramahansa yogananda and a new earth by Eckhart Tolle. To download your free book today, to start listening to your book instead of reading a book, go to my7chakras.com forward slash free book. Once again, that's my7chakras.com forward slash free book and, and select your book and start listening right away. So David, thank you so much for joining us. Before you go, tell us one thing that you are grateful for and how can we find you online? Um, I'm easily discovered online. My website is one word, davidjameshypnosis.com, D-A-V-I-D-J-A-M-E-S, hypnosis, H-Y-P-N-O-S-I-S, no spaces, davidjameshypnosis.com. From there, you can email me. We can book sessions. Like I said, I work around the world on Skype, um, and, and as well as in my office in Beverly Hills, if people are more L.A.-based. Uh, what I am most grateful for today is my family. I have uh, two adult children and six grandkids and on weekends i get to spend time with all of them because they all live close enough and being a really fun and good grandfather nourishes my heart so i'm looking forward to that today awesome so thanks a lot for taking your time today because uh our listeners might not know that we're recording this session on a saturday uh action tribe if you want to learn more david james hypnosis.com that's where you can find out more about his work as well as about the newly released book which i highly recommend that you uh, get so david thank you so much for coming on our show talking to us about the power of our mind our inner mind uh, both subconscious and, and conscious and taking us one step closer to a human revolution you're welcome i'm glad to have been with you today again it's a wonderful re revisit and and so maybe again we'll talk so thank you you are listening to my seven chakras go to my s-e-v-e-n chakras.com download your free gift get inspired and take action transform your life today big money on everything for your next project at menards spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools they're easy to assemble and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and uv protection say big on suncast storage sheds view our selection of suncast products today in store and on menards.com When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.